Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and today is day 78 in our exploration of this wonderful work. Today we are going to commence our study of the Sacrament of Penance. And every time the Catechism it launches on a study of any topic, it ordinarily begins with a couple paragraphs concerning the importance of instruction on that topic. Likewise, as it begins this study of the Sacrament of Penance, it begins with the subheading, the importance of instruction on this sacrament. And so we begin reading, As the frailty and weakness of human nature are universally known and felt by each one in himself, no one can be ignorant of the great necessity of the sacrament of penance. If, therefore, the diligence of pastors should be proportioned to the weight and importance of the subject, we must admit that in expounding this sacrament they can never be sufficiently diligent. Nay, it should be explained with more care than baptism, Baptism is administered but once, and cannot be repeated. Penance may be administered and becomes necessary as often as we have sinned after baptism. Hence the Council of Trent declares, For those who fall into sin after baptism, the sacrament of penance is, is as necessary to salvation as is baptism for those who have not been already baptized. The saying of St. Jerome that penance is a second plank is universally known and highly commended by all subsequent writers on sacred things. As he who suffers shipwreck has no hope of safety unless perchance he sees on some plank from the wreck, so he that suffers the shipwreck of baptismal innocence, unless he cling to the saving plank of penance, has doubtless lost all hope of salvation. These instructions are intended not only for the benefit of pastors, but also for that of the faithful at large, to awaken attention, lest they be found culpably negligent in a matter so very important. Impressed with a just sense of the frailty of human nature, their first and most earnest desire should be to advance with the divine assistance in the ways of God, without sin or failing. But should they at any time prove so unfortunate as to fall, then, looking at the infinite goodness of God, who, like the good shepherd, binds up and heals the wounds of his sheep, they should not postpone recourse to the most saving remedy of penance. And so that's the end of that little section concerning the importance of instruction on the sacrament. A couple of points that strike me. First, it's interesting that the Catechism says that the, um, the pastor should proportion his instruction on this on the sacrament of penance um, in in uh, proportion to the significance of the sacrament in the lives of the faithful and of course baptism is the sacrament that's absolutely necessary as we talked about but penance is absolutely necessary for those who sin after baptism which, as the Catechism explains, due to the frailty of human nature, is um, pretty uh, pretty universal uh, problem in the lives of the of Christians, and so it's interesting that it says this this sacrament should be expounded even more than the sacrament of baptism. So that's kind of striking. And then the second interesting thing here is this saying of Saint Jerome that. Baptism is, is a second plank. And, uh, of course, to modern ears, 
uh, we have to sort of think about the um, whole idea of shipwrecks and of um, which perhaps most of us never enc- will encounter, hopefully, and uh, aren't likely to encounter, as those who lived in the 16th century were probably um, much more likely to encounter or have or know someone um, who has encountered shipwrecks. So this whole image of the second plank, penance is a second plank, um, is a vivid analogy, um, perhaps more striking to those in the 16th century, uh, nonetheless um, a wonderful analogy. Let's continue the subheading, the different meanings of the word penance. To enter at once on the subject and to avoid all error to which the ambiguity of the word may give rise, its different meanings are first to be explained. By penance, some understand satisfaction, while others who wander far from the doctrine of the Catholic faith, supposing penance to have no reference to the past, define it to be nothing more than newness of life. It must therefore be shown that the word has a variety of meanings. And um, I have a footnote here. Uh, Those who define penance as nothing more than newness of life, it says this was the teaching of Calvin. In the first place, it is said of those to whom that which was before pleasing is now displeasing whether the object itself was good or bad. In this sense, all those repent, whose sorrow is according to the world, not according to God, and therefore worketh not salvation, but death. In the second place, it is used to express that sorrow which the sinner conceives not, however, for the sake of God, but for his own sake concerning some sin of his in which he once took pleasure. A third kind of penance is that by which we experience interior sorrow of heart or give exterior indication of such sorrow for the sake of God alone. To all those kinds of sorrow, the word repentance properly applies. So the Catechism lays out three meanings of penance there. I'm thinking that uh, perhaps uh, an example of the first one might be uh, someone who um, engages in a bad business transaction and um, or, or a business transaction that has gone bad, and uh, whether it was a good transaction or a bad transaction, the fact that it's gone bad, the, um, the person who suffers a, a transaction like that might repent. He says, I wish I didn't make that deal. And it has nothing to do with, with um, the goodness or badness of the deal, but just um, with respect to his own sorrow that has nothing necessarily to do with God, but um, just sort of a worldly kind of sorrow. Uh, an example of the second one might be, I'm imagining someone who engages in some kind of vice that causes bad health or something or a disease and he repents due to the, for his own sake, not, not for the sake of God. And then, of course, the third kind of penance here is where there's a sorrow of heart for the sake of God alone. The Catechism continues, when the sacred scriptures say that God repented. The expression is evidently figurative. When we repent of anything, we are most anxious to change it. And hence, when God has resolved to change anything, these scriptures accommodating their language to our manner of speaking say that he repents. Thus we read that it repented him that he had made man. That's in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. 
and also that he was sorry that he had made Saul king. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11. But an important distinction is to be made between these different significations of the word. The first kind of penance must be considered faulty. The second is only the agitation of a disturbed mind. The third we call both a virtue and a sacrament. In this last sense, penance is taken here. And now we have the subheading, the virtue of penance. We shall first treat of penance as a virtue, not only because it is the duty of the pastor to lead the faithful to the practice of every virtue, but also because the acts which proceed from penance as a virtue constitute the matter, as it were, of penance as a sacrament. And unless the virtue be rightly understood, the force of the sacrament cannot be appreciated. The faithful, therefore, are first to be admonished and exhorted to labor strenuously to attain this interior penance of the heart, which we call a virtue, and without which exterior penance can avail them very little. Interior penance consists in turning to God sincerely and from the heart, and in hating and detesting our past transgressions, with a firm resolution of amendment of life, hoping to obtain pardon through the mercy of God. Accompanying this penance, like an inseparable companion of detestation for sin, is a sorrow and sadness which is a certain agitation and disturbance of the soul, and is called by many a passion. Hence, many of the fathers define penance as an anguish of soul. Penance, however, in those who repent, must be preceded by faith. For without faith no man can turn to God. Faith, therefore, cannot be on any account. Faith, therefore, cannot on any account be called a part of penance. That this inward penance is, as we have already said, a virtue, the various commands which have been given regarding it clearly show. For the law commands only those actions that are virtuous. Furthermore, no one can deny that it is a virtue to be sorrowful at the time, in the manner, and to the extent which are required. To regulate sorrow in this manner belongs to the virtue of penance. Some conceive a sorrow which bears no proportion to their crimes. Nay, there are some, says Solomon, who are glad when they have done, done evil. Others, on the contrary, give themselves to such melancholy and grief as utterly to abandon all hope of salvation. Such, perhaps, was the condition of Cain when he exclaimed, My iniquity is greater than that I may deserve pardon. We read that in Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Such certainly was the condition of Judas, who repenting hanged himself, and thus lost soul and body. Penance, therefore, considered as a virtue, assists us in restraining within the bounds of moderation our sense of sorrow. This is an interesting paragraph in the, in the Catechism because it's proving that penance is a virtue and I think the main way that it's proving it is that it's showing that ordinarily a virtue stands between two extremes, namely uh, excess and defect. 
And so the catechism is showing that similarly, there is a virtue by which we regulate our sorrow. Um, we can have too much sorrow or we can have too little sorrow. And it gives wonderful uh, citations from scripture showing each one of those. So the catechism continues, that penance is a virtue may also be inferred from the ends which the true penitent proposes to himself. The first is to destroy sin and efface from the soul its every spot and stain. The second is to make satisfaction to God for the sins which he has committed, which is clearly an act of justice. Between God and man, it is true, no relation of strict justice can exist. So great is the distance that separates them. Yet between them there is evidently a sort of justice. Such as exists between a father and his children, between a master and his servants. The third end of the penitent is to reinstate himself in the favor and friendship of God, whom he has offended, and whose hatred he has earned by the turpitude of sin. The foregoing considerations sufficiently prove that penance is a virtue. And now we continue with the subheading, the steps which lead up to this virtue. We must also point out the steps by which we may ascend to this divine virtue. The mercy of God first goes before us and converts our hearts to him. This was the object of the prophet's prayer. Convert us, O Lord, to thee, and we shall be converted. Illumined by this light, the soul next tends to God by faith. He that cometh to God, says the apostle, must believe that he is and is a rewarder to them that seek him. That's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. A salutary fear of God's judgments follows, and the soul contemplating the punishments that await sin is recalled from the paths of vice. To this state of soul seem to refer those words of Isaiah, as a woman with child, when she draweth near the time of her delivery, is in pain and crieth out in her pangs, so are we become. That's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 17. Then follows a hope of obtaining mercy from God, encouraged by which we resolve on improvements of life. Lastly, our hearts are inflamed by charity, whence springs that filial fear which good and dutiful children experience, and thus dreading only to offend the majesty of God in anything, we entirely abandon the ways of sin. The Catechism continues with the fruits of this virtue. Such are, as it were, the steps by which we ascend to this most exalted virtue, a virtue altogether heavenly and divine, to which the sacred scriptures promise the kingdom of heaven. For it is written in St. Matthew, Do penance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If, says Ezekiel, the wicked do penance for all his sins, which he hath committed, and keep all my commandments, and do judgment and justice, living he shall live. That's Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21. In another place, I desire not the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Words which are evidently understood of eternal life.
And so we will stop reading the Catechism at that point. It has uh, explained the meanings of the word penance and then concentrated on the idea that penance is a virtue. Uh, in our next episode, we'll talk about how penance, we'll talk about penance as a sacrament. But now, let us turn to the Summa Theologica, where St. Thomas has an article on this saying of St. Jerome that penance is a second plank after shipwreck. And this is in question 84, the third part of the Summa, question 84, article 7. And um, the whole article, the whole question, of course, is about penance, the sacrament of penance. Uh, but questions, question 7, or ra it's rather question 6, ra Article 6 asks whether penance is a second plank after shipwreck. And so St. Thomas says in the response, he says, I answer that, that which is of itself precedes naturally that which is accidental as substance precedes accident. Now some sacraments are of themselves ordained to man's salvation, for example, baptism, which is the spiritual birth, confirmation, which is the spiritual growth, the Eucharist, which is the spiritual food. Whereas penance is ordained to man's salvation accidentally, as it were, and on something being supposed, for example, sin. For unless man were to sin actually, he would not stand in need of penance, and yet he would need baptism confirmation in the Eucharist. Even as in the life of the body, man would need no medical treatment unless he were ill. And yet life, birth, growth, and food are of themselves necessary to man. Consequently, penance holds the second place with regard to the state of integrity, which is bestowed and safeguarded by the aforesaid sacraments, so that it is called, metaphorically, a second plank after shipwreck. For just as the first help for those who cross the sea is to be safeguarded in a whole ship, while the second help, when the ship is wrecked, is to cling to a plank. So too the first help in this life's ocean is that man safeguard his integrity, while the second help is, if he lose his integrity through sin, that he regain it by means of penance. So that's St. Thomas's treatment of the the saying of St. Jerome that penance is a second plank after shipwreck. And clearly the fathers of the catechism, the authors, again, we see how closely they follow the Summa. And so they, um, they are, I'm sure they're inspired. They, they know about the saying of St. Jerome, but um, St. Thomas shows us, he justifies St. Jerome's saying um, by showing us that things which are accidental are subsequent to things which are through themselves. And I, I think of a, an example that my old philosophy professor used to use all the time, that if we have a cup of coffee, coffee is not necessarily uh, sweet. Uh, but if we put sh 
sugar into it, the coffee, then it becomes sweet. Of course, sugar is something which is sweet through itself, and coffee is something which is sweet accidentally. So sweet coffee is sort of a secondary kind of sweetness compared to the sweetness of sugar, which is uh, sweet through itself. And similarly, the sacraments of baptism, confirmation of the Eucharist, are of themselves necessary for the integrity of soul. Uh, life, growth, birth, and food are of themselves necessary, whereas only a soul that has encountered sin um, needs the sacrament of penance. So penance is sort of a secondary, um, it's, a, it's a sacrament which is necessary in a secondary way. And we saw that earlier when we asked the question whether all these sacraments are necessary. And St. Thomas um, says that penance is not necessary um, per se, but it's necessary on the assumption that the soul has sinned. So penance indeed is a second plank after shipwreck. And then St. Thomas builds this analogy, um, this metaphor rather, that life, life's ocean is, uh, is, a, um, is something in which we need this sacrament because we encounter these shipwrecks. And so that's all we'll do today. Thank you for joining me in exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a year. I'm Mark Langley, and please join me next time as we continue our exploration of penance as a sacrament.